Good evening, you all. This is how you say it, you all here? Oh, not so much, okay. So before we go to the word, I need to do two things. First, I need to uh, explain that I really don't speak English. Uh, I know a few words, I use them randomly, and I hope they come across making sense. You're laughing, so I probably said something funny, I don't know. Second thing I need to do, I need to teach you how to say my name properly. Okay? You ready for that? So my name is Przemek. Bless you guys. I mean, most of you just sneezed. The first, the first sound of my name is like opening a can of Coke. Now, most of you are making Sprite sound. That's a different sound. But it will do. So, and the rest is easy. Emek. Przemek. So now every time you have your soda, pray for Poland. You hooked. Gotcha. Okay? So um, when, I was, when I was praying about what to speak about tonight, um, I felt that Holy Spirit said, just give them what, what brings you most joy. And that for me is, uh, is evangelism. That's a big, scary word, evangelism. I mean, probably most of you have... Pictures in your mind right now that are rather discouraging than encouraging. But there's a, there's a different word for evangelism that we're going to deal with tonight. And I hope that when we walk away from here, you'll be equipped and encouraged to have more joy in that big thing called evangelism. So let me read from the text that will uh, start us off. It's from book of Acts, chapter 1. Verse 6, 7, and 8. You all probably know it very well, but uh, let's read. So, when they had come together, they asked him, Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So we will look at the text today and we will see what it means to be a witness. Then I'm going to talk to you a little bit about the content of what we witness to and finally about qualifications to be a witness. You ready guys? Can we do that? Let's do it. I mean, you have no choice. You're here, so let's just go ahead. So witness is a very, it's much safer word for me than evangelism. Evangelism has this ring of a churchy activity that seems, seems weird outside of church and you don't know how to do it properly with other people. I mean, a lot of us are scared or uh, not really feel equipped. But witness, that's something else. Let me tell you about what I witnessed over a month ago. Uh, my daughter, her name is Liliana. She is probably the only perfect human being on this planet. So just imagine an 18-month-old girl, that tall, with blonde curly hair, blue eyes. One Friday evening we were dancing. I mean, she loves to dance. So we were dancing, I was holding her hands, and she was saying, Hopsa, hopsa, papa. So I grabbed her wrists, because I didn't trust her little fingers. So I grabbed her wrist and we were doing hopsa hopsa. And suddenly I felt this crack 
in my right hand. And her face from a smile turned turn into cry. She was crying. And I was like, oh my gosh, I just, I just broke my child. <laughs> and uh, so I got this friend who is a chiropractor. So I called him up. I said, hey, Tomek, this happened. Uh, got any idea what it might be? I said, yeah, that's pretty common. It's called nursery, nursery elbow. Are you familiar with that? I mean, basically, that's worth coming for tonight. I mean, if you got a child between one and six, don't do this with them, okay? With, with straight arms, because you might dislocate the, the, the shoulder, uh, the elbow. And that's what I did. And then he said, but you can fix it really easy. Like, yeah, okay. And then he explained to me over the phone how to fix the elbow. <sighs> I disconnected and I thought, I'm not sure. <laughs> so I got on YouTube <laughs> and I searched how to fix nursery elbow. So I found, I found an instructional video that was showing exactly what Tomek, my friend who's chiropractor, explained to me over the phone. And it's really simple. You just get the, get the hand of the person and straighten it out and go back like this. So, I think I was praying in tongues for like 10 minutes before I did that. Magda, my wife, was holding her on, um, Liliana on her lap. I grabbed her hand, extended the hand, pushed back, and I felt click again. And Liliana went like, ah! and smiled again. So, whether you believe me it happened or not doesn't matter because I witnessed that. And uh, I was there. I felt the click under my, in my arm. It's, it's real. You, you can talk to me that this stuff doesn't happen, that you shouldn't do it. I don't care. I was there. I saw my child crying and then smiling. And I was so excited afterwards that I was like, okay, who can I call and tell about it? And then and I was like, okay, I need somebody else who has a nursery elbow because I know how to fix it. <laughs> I mean, uh, if, if pastoring a church doesn't work out in the future, I've got a new skill. <laughs> I can fix elbows. But, you know, we're laughing, but this, this, how, this is how witnessing works. I mean, if you witness something, if you witness the joy of solution, cannot help. I was even tempted to record my own video on YouTube. I just wanted to share it with somebody. I mean, this is, this is what witnessing is. And uh, the Greek word for witness here in, in our text is, uh, is martis. We've got an English word for, uh, based on that word, and it's martyr. Uh, we've got a long, centuries-long tradition as a church on the planet of people who were were willing to witness to the truth of the gospel even until death. Why? Because it was so real. It was not a matter of preference. It was not a matter of opinion. It was real. And they were willing to put down their lives. So this is a, this is a different angle to, to come to evangelism. So what do we witness about? What is the content of our witness, now that we know what witnessing is. So, if I could take you to, uh, 
to first letter to the church in Corinth, 15th chapter. And again, you probably know this very well. But this is a fascinating text. Because if we read, read through the Gospels, all four of them, you see that the good news, the Gospel, was being preached um, in a certain way because it was the fulfillment of the promise that the Israel had been waiting for for centuries. But once the gospel got out beyond Israel to the nations, to Gentiles, it took certain form because if you went to, let's say, Ephesus and said, hey, Messiah has come, and they'll be like, okay, who's Messiah? I mean, nobody was waiting for Messiah in, in Ephesus. Nobody was waiting for Messiah in Poland 2,000 years ago. So what we've got here in this text in 1 Corinthians 15 is how the gospel was being preached to the nations, to Gentiles. And a lot of commentators, biblical commentators, say that, I don't speak Greek, I don't read Greek, I just know the letters. They say that it is written in a way that it sounds like a creed, like nursery rhyme. It's, it was so what Paul was writing here was probably not him writing. He put in his letter what was, being, what was, what was popular at, all around the world. Meaning this is how people try to remember the gospel. So it contains all the basics of the gospel. You take one element and you've got something else than the gospel. And he says, listen to the language. Uh, we don't have it here. Okay, that's okay. It's very strong. He says, now I would, I would remind you, brothers of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance, and then goes this nursery rhyme, this creed, this hymn, if you will, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That's first element. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to, and then you've got a list of people that he appeared to. So, Dr. Gary Habermas says that he is as bold as to say that this particular text from this chapter, this, this creed, could be as as early as to the fifth year after the resurrection of Jesus. So this is, this is really, really good text because if somebody asks you what is the gospel, what is the content of our witness, you've got it here. And if you ask average Christian today in a Western society what is, what is gospel, they will probably put a lot of other elements into it and that is fine because gospel is simple but not simplistic. It contains a lot of stuff in it. But there are, there are many things that people would like to mention that are not here. And this, this crazy word that Christ died for our sins, that's not a popular word these days. I mean, uh, sins is, I mean, we, we live in a society, people don't want to listen about sin. I mean, that, that category is pretty much gone uh, from how we perceive reality. Yet, it says that Christ died for our sins, not for our happiness, not for, you can 
put a list of great things that God desires us to have because he loves us. He died for our sins. So let's stay here for a moment, for a moment because this is a really big, big topic. When we talk about the gospel and what we witness to, sin is a big thing. And uh, uh, have you heard, guys, about Nietzsche? Philosopher, it's probably one of, the, one of the most influential philosophers in the 20th century. And he hated Christianity with passion. He was probably one of the most fierce enemies of Christianity. And his main accusation of Christianity was that Christianity came up with this false problem, which is sin, and offers false cure, which is the gospel. And Christianity, I, I think, I mean, as much as I've read, I haven't come across any other philosophy or religion that claims the same thing as Christianity. Christianity is, is the only religion that claims that human beings are born with this thing called sin. Every other religion says you're either born neutral or actually good, and then society, ex life experiences can make you evil or crooked or broken. Christianity is the only one that's bold to say you're actually born evil. I mean, I've got that little Liliana I told you about, as beautiful as she, as she is. <laughs> if you've been around children, I don't have to tell you stories. They're so sweet. Let me tell you a story that, that uh, made me aware of... of uh, of sin in a, from a different angle. Uh, I live in Krakow. Krakow is one, one hour away from, uh, from Auschwitz. It was a, a Nazi uh, death camp uh, in occupied Poland. And one of, the, one of the guys who was in Auschwitz was a Jew called Yechiel de Nur. He survived Auschwitz. And when, uh, when Adolf Eichmann, the... Uh, the guy who was responsible for creating the final solution, which was to get rid of, rid of all the Jews from the planet, was captured uh, by Israeli secret services, and there was a trial in Jerusalem. Yechiel de Nur was one of the witnesses during that trial. And there are actually videos on YouTube, you can see that it was recorded. And there's this, uh, this, this crazy moment when Yechiel de Nur is sitting and facing Adolf Eichmann. And you can see the smirk on the, on the, on the face of Eichmann. And, and Yechiel de Nur suddenly gets up from behind the desk, stumbles and faints. He falls down. Years later, in the, in the American talk show, uh, 60 Minutes, he was being interviewed, Yechiel de Nur. And he was asked what happened that day. Was that reaction... Was that emotional reaction? I mean, were you afraid of Eichmann so much? He said, yes, I was afraid, but not of Eichmann. I was afraid of myself. Because that person that used to be the god of death was sitting in front of me, and I realized he's just a human being. And suddenly I realized things that he's capable of, I'm capable of. And then he says this one thing. Adolf Eichmann is in all of us. Now, if I would come to you and say that, that Hitler is in all of us, you could laugh at me, you could say, you exaggerate. I live a good life. I haven't killed anybody. 
So that's one thing. But if you hear a sentence like that from Auschwitz, uh, from, uh, from the mouth of Auschwitz survivor, the guy who suffered incredible pain from the hands of Eichmann, and he says that sentence, Eichmann is in all of us, we should at least pause for a moment and think what made him say that. Well, Jesus explains the same concept in, the, uh, in his uh, Sermon on the Mount. He says, it was, you've heard it said, don't, uh, don't murder. I say to you, if you're angry with your brother, you, co- you committed murder. It's the same thing. I mean, it's like the, the manifestation of the sin is different. There's one thing to kill somebody and be angry with somebody. The results are different, but in its nature... It's like a seed. It has a DNA. It's small. You put it in the ground, and given the right conditions, it will grow into a large tree. That's why I think Jesus says, if you are angry with your brother, you committed murder in your heart. So, there was another smart guy from the Soviet Union uh, called Alexander Solzhenitsyn. He used to be a communist until he realized that communism is stupid. And he wrote a lot of good books. And in one of those books, he says that, you know, when you, the, the key idea of communism is that evil is not in a human being, but evil is in a certain group. So if you get rid of that group, bourgeoisie, then we've got a great society. Well, Solzhenitsyn realized that's not the problem. You can get enough money to everybody life will still stink and will still be uh, unpleasant to one another. And then he, he wrote the sentence that the line between good and evil runs across every human heart. So the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the fact that he died for our sins, is God's solution to defeat evil at its source, our hearts. He found a way to destroy evil without destroying us. Uh, we often say that God is love, and that's, that's in the Bible. But he's so much more than that. And sometimes I, I fear that if you tell somebody that God loves you, and he died for you because he loves you, sometimes I fear that people don't, don't really get it. It's like, let me give you another illustration. Just imagine... A boy and a girl walking alongside a river. It's a, it's a violent river. And he says to her, I love you so much, and I want to prove it to you. And he jumps into the river and he dies. That's stupid. <laughs> would she feel loved? No, she would probably need, need counseling after that. Now imagine the same situation where they walk along the river and she falls into the river and he jumps in to save her and while saving her, he dies. And that's love, right? We need, to, we need to be aware of the depth of our problem to appreciate the love. Okay? So Dr. Keller from New York sums up the gospel in this way. You know that it operates in your heart when you understand that you're more sinful than you dare to admit. And 
At the same time, in Jesus, you are more loved and accepted than you ever hoped for. So, what do we witness? What is the content of our witness? The gospel. What is the gospel? That Jesus came and died for your sins. On the third day, he rose again. And there are witnesses to that. So, what are the requirements to be a good witness? There's this, I love, one of my favorite Bible words is word but, B-U-T. Okay? Because it means that something important is going to be said. I love Psalms. This is going to be for free, guys. We usually, we, usually, we usually come to God, I mean, okay, I don't know about you. I usually come to God like this. Say, God, you're amazing. I love you. I worship you. But this little thing here, it doesn't work. If you go to Psalms, you'll see but plays differently. Psalms usually say, God, this and this and this stinks. It doesn't work. But, so we've got a little but here. <laughs> it says that they, they ask him a question to Jesus. Is that the time when all those prophecies going to come, come true and the kingdom is going to be restored? He says, well, it's not your business to know. But, it means that, this is what I read here, that you don't need to have all the answers to be a good witness. And now, don't hear me wrong. I mean, don't, don't take it as an excuse not to be more knowledgeable. Don't take it as an excuse to study. But that's not a requirement to be a witness. You don't need to have a, a PhD in philosophy and apologetics to be, a, to be a witness. Being a witness, guys, is a matter of honesty. If you know that Jesus died for your sins, if that has given you a new heart, if you witnessed that, if you experienced that, if it changed your life, how could you not witness to the main force that animates your life? It's a matter of honesty. Being true to yourself and to others around you. It's not this crazy effort of being an evangelist. It's just being a witness to what you witnessed to. By the way, I'm still yet to find a verse in the Bible that tells that the gift of evangelism exists. It doesn't. God gave us evangelists as a gift to equip us to do the work of ministry. So we witness not only the historical fact of God's death and resurrection, but we also witness to what it has done in our lives. Okay? We need to move on. So, a little bit more about qualifications to be a witness. Here in this text, we, we see that what qualifies us to be a witness is Holy Spirit. He gives us, he gives us boldness and power uh, to be witnesses. And Holy Spirit is... If one of the main contents of the gospel is, is the fact that Jesus died for our sins, we need Holy Spirit to come to convince people of that. <laughs> Nobody wants to be convinced of that. Nobody wants to hear bad news in order to hear good news like that. So it says in John 16, 8, that when he comes, the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. This is one of the main ministries of the Holy Spirit, convicting people of sin. 
that gospel that we're talking about is foolishness for people who are educated. It's weakness for those who desire power. Nobody is looking for, for that. Yet, this is the main content of what we witness to. Without the power of the Spirit, no one can be saved. Let me link that joy and sin for you. Uh, in Psalm 51, this is the, the psalm when David is repenting after being exposed of his sin with Bathsheba. Uh, he says these words, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. You see the order? Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And here's the thing, guys. Maybe, I'm, maybe this is going to be useful to, uh, to some of you. Sin, sin, is, sin will rob you of your joy. Sin will rob you of your confidence in Jesus. Sin makes you stupid. Uh, how many times in my life I was in sin, in habitual sin, and I was making excuses up in my mind to, to, ex- to, to explain to myself that it's okay. And then when the Holy Spirit comes and convicts you and you repent, you think about those excuses and you see how stupid they, they were. We are kings and queen, queen, queens of, of, of excuses. But David here says that when he repents, he asks, restore the joy of, of your salvation. So if this is you tonight, if you've been playing with sin or coming up with excuses, I mean, don't live here tonight without getting right with God. He wants to restore the joy of his salvation to you. So another way that Holy Spirit works, uh, helps us in our witnessing is, is by fruits of the Holy Spirit. I love the fruits. Sometimes people treat uh, gifts of the Holy Spirit, which I love, also, as normative. We sometimes tend to uh, judge one another how closely someone is to God by anointing uh, or gifting in their life. I mean, gifts are not normative. We don't judge one another by gifts. But we can judge each other by fruits. They should be present in our life and present in increasing, increasing form. You know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I hope that today they've got at least one level higher than a year ago. Right? That's one of the proofs that Holy Spirit is operating in you. And that's also a witness to people who observe your life. You don't need to be perfect, but at least going forward with your pace. So, let me, let me finish with this. If I... If we left here right now with, with what I just said, hopefully it's going to be helpful to, to some of you. But if I just told you, now go and be witnesses, um, I would not help you much because our hearts have these crazy uh, sinful tendencies and we need a stronger foundation or a stronger motivation to be witnesses. And uh, do you know that Jesus not only died for you to save you, but he also died to save your witness? What do I mean by that? Would you agree with me that Jesus, on his, during his earthly ministry, he was witnessing to the Father faithfully every minute of his life? He didn't shrink back even once. He was faithful all the time. 
He witnessed to the Father. What I see him do, I do. What I hear him say, I say. And yet, at the end of his life, he got what? He got the cross. He was rejected by the Father. So you and I could be received. So if you're here today and you've got, you've got guilty conscience, you feel bad about yourself because you're not witnessing enough, think about it. He not only died to save you, he also saved your witness. So you could be free to witness. Witnessing is not your way to get his pleasure, to get his blessing. He did it for you first. He saved your witness. Can you see that? Does it move your heart? Can you believe in that? How would you not witness to that? <laughs> so let me, let me finish with prayer. I want to give you guys a moment. I mean, if, if you come here and Holy Spirit is working in you right now and bringing to your attention sin or habitual sin, uh, do it right now. Confess it to God. And receive his forgiveness. 1 John 1.8 says that he's faithful and just to forgive our sins when we confess them. And then pray that God restores the joy of his salvation in your heart. And finally, let me pray for you with the words from the uh, book of Acts, fourth chapter, when they were praying for, for, uh, when, the, when somebody was trying to limit their witness, apostles. And now, Lord, look upon, their, look upon our hearts, fears, obstacles, and dangers, and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through your name, through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Pour out your power on us again so we could go out and be faithful witnesses to your love. Amen. Thank you, guys. It was a pleasure.